This is the Almighty Hooks, aka Hooks, aka Mark Willahan from Scotland to hear me, and you're listening to For the Lore, you motherfuckers, just good shit. Listening to For the Lore, the podcast that delves into the craft of our favorite games, whether lore, gameplay, or even game design. Joining Roger from Wow Dogs, and for the lore is Joe, writer for World of Maticus, and Enrique of Spooncraft. Welcome to For the Lore, this is Roger coming to you on Monday, the 3rd of May. We are getting close to summer, folks. The cold will be gone. Uh, I don't know about all of you guys, but we actually had snow last week, so that was absolutely phenomenal. Yay for fucked up weather. Um, same as usual, we've got Joe joining us. I'm not even going to bother rattling off all your websites, especially considering <laughs> the new one. And we've got Vince joining us once again from Massive Dirt. Massive Dirt. Oh, we're going to have to restart. <laughs> I'm not restarting. I'm not restarting. I'm not. Oh, no, nice. no. Massivenerd.net. Anyways, how are you boys doing? Fantastic. Can't complain. Happy to be back after my uh, mandatory. I didn't, shouldn't punch an old lady while driving type thing. You know. Well, it's true. But you do seem a little bit more mellow. So that's good. I am. The, the anger management course worked. Vince, out about yourself? Yeah, I'm doing good, and I'll match your snow. It's 90 freaking degrees, so uh, we got extremes going on here. So summer's already here. I don't know what the hell you're talking about. <laughs> well, not here. No, not yet. Although the last couple of days have been a little bit better, so that's all right. Um, I'm going to be working on... Um, oh, look at the phone. This is just full of wind right from the get-go. I don't know if you guys noticed that, but from the get-go, we got full of wind here. Um, somebody got the phone, so we're good to go. Uh <laughs> I finally finished reading The Calling mm-hmm. by David Gator, the um, Dragon Origin novel. Now, I know that you finished it, Joe. I assume, Vince, you're actually not reading it, or am I assuming it's, wrong? It's in the queue. Okay, good enough. I don't want to spoil too much of it. We did talk about it a little bit last week, I believe. I've mentioned it a few times as I've been working on it. Having finished the ending, the ending on this one is way stronger than the first ending. It was very well done, um, literally right until the end. So I was I was very, very impressed with it. The novel as a whole was fantastic. I'm not going to say too, too much on it, simply because I'm actually going to do a review on it that's going to be a feature at the end of the podcast. So you're going to want to download the podcast tomorrow to hear that. I have a lot of positive things to say, point blank. Um, the thing that's interesting is that I picked up Dragon Age Origin, the game, and started playing my badass mage again. I'd considered making a new character, and then I thought, nah, I'm too far in. I'd like to just keep going on the character that I had. So I started playing him again, and immediately, the game is so much deeper once you've read those novels. It's unbelievable. I'm assuming, yeah, it makes such a difference. Now, the thing, too, is that if you play Dragon Age Origins and didn't think much of it, then 
you really wouldn't care. However, if the game really did move you in terms of you, you were very, very impressed with the quality of the writing and everything else, you pretty much owe it to yourself to pick up the two Dragon Age books and read them. The books in and of themselves are not disappointing either. So whether you like the game or not, if you enjoy fantasy, old English style games, or sorry, novels, you'll enjoy these novels. But if again, you enjoyed those, the, the game, if you enjoy the game and you read those books, that that game takes on a whole other layer that's hard to explain. Case in point, I did the um, Return to Ostagar mm-hmm. after I had finished reading The Calling because I'd been literally putting it off because I wanted to finish the, the Calling before I went back to the game. I did Return to Ostagar and it's such a, a, a like people complain saying it, it wasn't enough for the money and really there's nothing to it. You go and whatnot. But there is. When you... Equip when you have the Merrick sword and you find it, not to mention everything else, the, the you have so much deeper appreciation of what's going on because of having read the books. And because the books were written by Gator and Gator was the lead writer on the game, the continuity follows throughout. There's no there's no seam. You're not going to be suddenly thinking, well, that doesn't fit. That doesn't make sense. It does. It all fits perfectly. So mm-hmm. when you find that sword and it's like, it's it's Merrick's sword, which is in, it comes in what, about halfway through the first book while they're in the deep roads and then plays yes. a, a fairly substantial part of the second. Now, this isn't like Frostmourne where it's hugely important. However, it is still a very important weapon in in the books. And the, the the easiest way to explain it to people who would say, yeah, but it's still just a sword is, okay, let's just say you're playing a Raiders of the Ark style game, all right, that is more in the future, but you're an archaeologist or whatever. And at one point you find one of the DLC or whatever is to go into this section. And what you find is Indy's whip and Indy's mm-hmm. hat and the satchel that he wears. That's the feeling that you get from this. It's those items that you recover. Again, people said, ah, it's not a big deal. No, those items that you recover really actually do make, it's a big deal. It's like, wow, this is actually pretty cool. I cannot express how different the feeling is um, on that, on, in the game from having read the books to not having read the books. It's not necessary. I mean, the games themselves are phenomenal. They stand really well on their own, but you're right. It, it is like going through an, uh, an Indiana Jones game and finding his whip and his hat. Um, I mean, it's, it's just epic. It just makes these things so much more epic and only that, but when you start interacting in the, uh, the expansion, when you start interacting in Awakening, when you start seeing some of these NPCs in these areas that they've talked about, and you're like, holy shit, I remember the, oh god, this is awesome, and you start seeing certain things that have kind of developed since the book, it really just kind of blows your mind. Um, it's it's just, it's so immersive, it's such a wonderful world, uh, it makes me very sad that the role-playing game for the tabletop isn't as deep as this, <laughs> but... <laughs> It's just, it, it really is a fantastic complement to a well-crafted game. And, uh, you know, Gator should be very proud of himself. And, uh, and one day I hope to actually thank him in person or at least 
in voice uh, for his contribution because it is rather epic. I mean, it is it's solid writing all the way through, even if you have no intention of ever playing the game. And see, I haven't done Awakening yet because, again, I'm, I'm, I want to finish my playthrough on my mage. Vince and I talked about this last week. I want to vi- finish the playthrough on my mage and then import him in uh, the badass mage, not the mage that died. Um, but even just that, and I haven't even done Awakening yet, even just within the original things that I've done, I'm discovering new things that I hadn't obviously spotted the first time. And it's directly related to those novels and the appreciation that you get for how deep that world is. It's, it's one thing to like anybody who has tried to create a a world via whether it's a, a novel or a, even a movie or a game or whatever, when you're trying to create that world and make that world as rich as possible so that it makes sense to people reading it. And even though you don't go in depth about everything, the reader or the watcher or the, the, the gamer has faith in you that you, it it's not an, uh, an illusion. It's not all smoke and mirrors. You've developed that world. And that's exactly what this is. And I'm, I know I'm going a little long on this and I, and I won't go too long, but it's Again, necessary. It, it, my appreciation for, obviously, my appreciation for, for the game was really high. Obviously, because of, like, I gave it the game of the year. My, I, I absolutely adored it. The fact that now, after having read these books and playing through it again, it's even higher. It's amazing what I think about this. So, uh, moving on from there, a little rumor that we just found out from Vince as well. You were talking about StarCraft Two there. Not a rumor. Well, confirmed where where has it been confirmed because i've been looking around I thought there was a i thought there was a post on it let me find it i'll find it yeah, I, I, yeah i've been digging around and every site that says official their source is another news site and their source is another news site and 15 sites down the tree still no press release or anything so well as how about as, we say uh, what it is <laughs> yes the rumored until joe can get a reasonable link here the yeah, rumored, i'll find it <laughs> okay Release date for StarCraft II Wings of Liberty is going to be July 27th, and what I would like to see amidst all these official posts is a year at the end of that, because (laughs) this is Blizzard. Yeah, but they've pretty much said it's going to be this year for that one. Now, had they said that was the date for, you know, D3, I would have laughed myself silly. However, for this, I would actually give them a little bit of leeway and assume that they're, it's true. Having as a having played this beta pretty extensively since I was able to get it, um, they're ready. They're 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 absolutely ready. I mean, honestly, uh, the the multiplayer game is absolutely fine. Uh, it's fantastic. It's really well balanced right now. Terrans do not feel underpowered anymore. Um, it's it's solid all the way through. Um, I, I can't even express how awesome this game is. Like every night I have to play at least one game. Um, it, it just, it makes me that happy. Um, and they did a fantastic job with it. So seeing it out this soon, not uh, that surprising, especially when it's already been mostly none. Um, you know how they do that. Uh, they do that with all of their betas. By the time a beta is released, it's ready to go about six months after it's been in beta. And when did the beta for StarCraft two hit? Anybody remember? No, I don't remember. No, January, right around the end, right around the end of January. Right. And uh, if you go to WorldOfWarcraft.com in stores, zero seven twenty seven ten. There you go. So it is official then. It is official. Yeah. Well, why would you post it on the World of Warcraft site and not the StarCraft site? Because that's where it's I fucked. 
It's on the StarCraft site as well, but it's it's that's their main traffic right. site right now. Um, for StarCraft 2, their main traffic site's the beta forums, and if you go to the beta forums, it's all over there as well. Um, but yeah, they could put it wherever they're going to get the most amount of people. <laughs> cool, yeah, cool. Well, and I didn't see it 45 minutes ago, but okay, we'll say it's. <laughs> you're fired. Two shows in, you're fired. All right, so that was <laughs> that was one of the big news that was just dropped on us today. Uh, what we've been hearing a lot about this week, however, has been Guild Wars Two. The marketing blitz is on for these guys, which leads me to believe it will not be long before we see the beta for this sucker come out. I I was one of those people that I was very skeptical of the first one just because of the people that made it um, until you started talking so highly about it. And you and I tend to share very similar uh, taste in video games. So I, I've been I actually bought their bit the bullet and downloaded the ultimate edition off of Steam. Um, <laughs> and I've now started playing through Guild Wars one, um, all three expansions or all three contents worth. I have started looking at the Guild Wars 2 uh, stuff that's been coming out uh, that's been linked on massively in ArenaNet and GameSpot and Joystick and everywhere else. Uh, and I am very excited about this. The game looks phenomenal. And they do show you some of the uh, some of the screenshots of, of actual game footage. They don't show you just like CG stills like you, you get from any other NC soft title. You're getting game shots. You're getting uh, content of like heroes fighting a couple a couple bad guys, and the storyline behind it, like you said, it takes place directly after Guild Wars One, and that well, is, not directly. We're looking well, at five hundred years, close enough. But I mean, it, it ties into the story. Almost. You know what I mean? Almost. <laughs> Hey, in fantasy, in fantasy, 500, 500 years is like yesterday. Okay, you know uh, what? You can go on right after I make one quick correction, even though, and I, and I want to make it very clear because we've bashed against NCSoft a lot. NCSoft is just going to be distributing this. They're publishing yes. it. It is ArenaNet that is making yes. this game. That's a big differential right there. And, and thanks to Roger pointing that out to me, well, I should say beating me over the head with it, um, I have... I mean, I was able to get, I was able to get past the NCSoft stamp on it and uh, I'm really enjoying it. Like it's just it looks like it's going to be a great game, oh, dude, the, it, the oh, s- dude. story, the characters. I mean, fucking a I mean, this, this is not what I expected. This is not what I signed up for. And I'm sitting there looking like, God damn it. I have to add another game to my fucking list and I will add it to my list. <laughs> when they talked yeah. about the, uh, sorry, Vince, just give me one second. All when right. they're talking about, because right now they're doing a lot of talk about the combat and the weaponry and things like that, because they, they have to, because as you're seeing different videos and you're going to see different UI elements, um, especially with the amount of skills that you're going to be able to equip, that's going to irk some people until they get used to the idea or whatever. Um, but when you're seeing the integration that your spells or your abilities can have with other people in your party, oh mm-hmm. my god, Elementalist puts up a firewall, and if there's a ranger behind shooting arrows, all of a sudden they've got flaming arrows. If there's a warrior that can do a spinning axe attack in the middle of the firewall, they're going to shoot flames all over at the mobs. Oh my god, yeah, <laughs> that's awesome. <laughs> Yeah, uh, I'll let Vince go before I, I, I start fanboying again. <laughs> yeah, I just wanted to t- chime in on what Joe said. Where When the game first came out, I was like, wow, this game does look really cool. But if I play this, I'm not going to get my $15 worth from World of Warcraft. But uh, based upon, again, the glowing recommendations it's received, I will probably be getting it uh, this week myself. So we'll see if we can give it the three-way for the lore stamp of approval. 
Oh, honestly, the everything that I've seen from this has been nothing but win. Now, again, I'm I'm biased in terms of the fact that I I enjoyed the first one. I enjoyed the first one a lot. I there was some, and we've talked about it before, so I'm going to agree great detail. There were some things that I didn't like about it, but overall. It was a phenomenal game, and I am so happy that I finished Nightfall. I would have liked to finish the original as well, but because I kind of went to Nightfall right away and enjoyed Nightfall so much, it, it was enough for me. I was very happy. And I literally have been playing it again recently because, um, like, I still have all my characters, and it's a fantastic game for anybody who doesn't know. Again, once you buy the game, that's it. You don't have to pay again. And that's going to be the same business model that they're doing for Guild Wars 2. You buy the game and then you can play it. That's awesome. And that's something that they talked a lot about as well. This is probably what you're going to talk about as well, Joe, in terms Mm -hmm. of by doing that type of business model, they're not creating a game that's based on making you have to feel like you have to grind to progress. They're making a game that's just fun to play. Well, and this is especially useful for somebody like me who likes to have multiple uh, game subscriptions at a time. I mean, hell, fucking right now I got World of Warcraft. I just started up Lotro again, uh, (laughs) and I still have my EVE account. And I like the fact that I'll be able to play a game with some really nice content that I'm not going to have to pay a monthly fee for. And at that point, I have no problem shelling out. If the game costs 60 bucks, I'll shell out the 60 bucks. Next expansion costs 60 bucks, fine, have my money. As long as you're making a good game, I have no problem paying that one-time fee. Because for me, it's just, it's the same thing as when we go pay $60 uh, for a game for the Xbox or $70 for a game for the PS3 and we can't play it with anybody else. And then when the sequel comes out, you know, we pay that $70 again, that $60 again, except here you get to interact with other people and have a richer experience. Uh, and you're not paying a monthly fee in order to do so. Now, don't get me wrong. I feel, I, I support, you know, subscription based gaming to a point, but it's nice to have games out there that aren't charging you a subscription fee like this and delivering the quality of content that it looks like they're going to deliver. I mean, I'm I'm floored by the first game. I really am. And the first game's how old now? It's like five years old. Five years old. And it's it's still solid. And what it reminds me of is it reminds me of a very immersive Neverwinter Nights. And now Neverwinter Nights was very immersive in and of itself, but the story has that sort of plot twists and multiple story threads going through it. And I'm sitting there, I'm like, wow, this is actually really kind of epic. And it's like all scaling up as you progress too. Like it's not just, you're not just going from killing boars to killing boars in a different continent to killing boars in a different dimension. You're going from killing boars to staving off an entire invasion. You know, it's like, it's, it's just like it does. It scales with you as you grow as a player. And that actually is really interesting. And I can't wait to see that in the second game. Well, when you're fighting, sorry, go ahead, Vince. Yeah. I just want to say the great line they had there in the design manifesto is they're putting the RPG back into MMORPG. So, it, yeah, it really follows your character path, not necessarily the world path. Yeah. The the thing with one as well, too, was that, well, like you were saying, again, it, you're really not sent out to kill boars too often. The the storyline with the, the, the char and everything and then as well but when you have the the pre-searing and the post-searing there's this cataclysmic event and they actually did that before cataclysm um which changes the game entirely if you're playing the first one i'm not mm-hmm. talking about the the expansions and it is amazing and it's 
all of the quests along the way really do capture your attention. And it's one of those things, too, where, again, they've said it often, and they said it uh, several times in their new blog as well, which I have here live for people who are reading. You should definitely check it out. We're in... It was about creating something where you didn't have to farm for a week for the mats that you needed to be able to go into an instance and then have fun for X amount of hours and then you're done. It's right from the get-go you can go in and feel like you're doing something epic. Like I remember five years ago picking this game up because I actually picked up Game Wars like retail day one kind of thing. And I remember when you first come out of the city the first time and you wander down the path, if you look into the water on one side, there's a freaking dragon there. And it was like, (laughs) by then I've been playing games where like you didn't see dragons until way later. You didn't feel epic, something epic. And here you do it is fighting a freaking dragon right out of the gate. And it was like, I love this game. This is too cool. Granted, you didn't drop anything cool, but still (laughs) it, it made you feel epic. And from that point on, like, I mean, your first city, when you go into the first little instance, it would be, and you get to the final boss too. It's, it feels Epic. And you were able to do it solo. You were able to bounce in and do everything. So again, I mean, that's five years ago. They've learned a few tricks along the way. And so I can't wait to see this. Now, it's going to be interesting because they're changing the way that they're doing their skill sets to a certain degree. Now, for people who aren't used to... Uh, who never played Guild Wars 1, Guild Wars 2 is going to be the same way in terms of they're limiting the amount of skills you can equip. So this isn't like, wow, where you can have, you know, you need bartender just to handle all of the the the, the icons, all of your abilities. Guild Wars 1 was reduced to eight abilities that you could take with you. What they wanted to do was they wanted to give you abilities that were still epic, still felt fantastic, and you can go hunt out epic abilities. So it's way different than WoW. You don't just train up. Yeah, you went and had to kill a mob, and if it had the ability, the elite ability that you wanted, you then capture it. Um, So that made it... (laughs) Yeah, that was very, very cool. But what they're doing with this one is they're limiting it to 10 now. However, five of those are going to be based on whatever weapon you have equipped. So whether you're holding a sword or a hammer or whatever, that's going to determine what those five will be. And also to the point where if you're holding a main hand and an off hand, they will have different abilities depending on which hand they're in. Again, with a, whether it's a short sword or an off hand dagger or sword or whatever. So that's going to be very different. And then your remaining five, one of those will have to be a healing ability, which I mean... Some people may say, well, I don't want to have to have a healing. Trust me, you kind of do in this game. It's it's important. You need it. Because when you're playing hardcore in Guild Wars 1, it's freaking hard. Okay? <laughs> you want your heal button. Because even if your team is healing, you trust me, you want it to. Which is then going to mean you're limited to 4. That's what a lot of people are having a problem right now with, unless they played the first one and understand where they're going. But still, that's going to seriously change the way that people play MMOs. You know what I mean? I I don't know. Joe, how long have you actually been playing one now? Uh, maybe for about seven days-ish. Okay. 
So yeah, it's going to be something where in your whatever weapon you equip, that's going to have a lot of your core abilities, which are those five abilities. And then your remaining four that are for your class are going to be essentially the epic abilities that you would have, well, which is kind of cool. To, to me, it really signifies a level of strategy as well um, that is not present in a lot of games. Um, like, I mean, me, I'm writing epic posts about, you know, how to deal with bosses and different strategies and stuff. But at the end of the night, you have an infinite tool set available to you in most of these other games out there, regardless of whether it's it's Lord of the Rings, uh, whether it's Eve, um, whether it's World of Warcraft. All these games give you an infinite amount of space when in truth, I mean, you think about it and a fantasy novel. Um, hell, even in uh if you were to really go back and take a look at some of the, the classics like uh, Tolkien, um, you, you spent yourself after a certain point of time. You specialized in something, and that's what you did really, really, really well. Um, and if you had to take time to change your gears, you took time to change your gears, um, but it was always at a sacrifice. So making you have to choose not only your abilities based on what weapon you choose, but also your class abilities adds a level of complexity to the character creation uh, and character leveling that you don't see very often. So it's going to force players to think, which is actually really, really nifty. It's something I, I mean, I fully, fully support. The thing with the uh, the abilities that everybody has to understand too, is that you are not going to be locked in with those four abilities that you put in now let right. alone obviously the weapons which switch out as you switch weapons and the cool thing is too as there are elements in the environment that can be used those will change those five abilities so if there's a boulder on the ground and you can activate it and do something with it based on your class those five abilities that are your weapon abilities will now change based on that boulder so if you're an elementalist you can use the boulder to do some sort of earth attack of some sorts <laughs> that's freaking cool but anyways um those those four abilities well five with the healing can be changed before you head out to go do whatever it is that you want to do so it'd be the equivalent of in wow knowing i'm going into this instance i know i'm only going to need these abilities Put those on your bar and you're good to go. And having played through Guild Wars 1 as much as I did, you really get to know your abilities so much better when that is the case because then you know how they interact with each other. So you know, okay, I'm going to do this. I'm going to need this, 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 and this because those work together properly case in point mine right now my warrior is wielding an axe and because of the way that i'm playing and because of the heroes that i've got with me i know that i want to do a lot of aoe to be able to try to hold aggro as much and down mobs as much so all of the abilities actually work together so it's not like i have to go searching and spam the same buttons as every other warrior i'm doing something unique to me because of how i like playing that's pretty huge yeah, I was going to say that that is absolutely huge because it allows you to, to customize your character that, you know, sets you aside. And and in a world of, you know, 12 million players in WoW, I mean, you don't have that luxury. You you, you may have a unique piece of, of vanity gear that you wear um, occasionally, but at the end of the day, you're you're pretty much the same gear, the same uh, talents, the same spells as everybody else around you, whereas this lets you separate yourself from the masses which is really nice i mean it's just like saying yep that's my that's my character that's uh that's my person generating those golems that are about to eat your face yep oh no nope, nobody does it quite like me you know yeah. so a little extra cookies 
And and if you get to know somebody that you are playing with quite often and you get to know their play style, whatever, some of the things that we've been reading on their developer blogs as well about how people are playing and using their abilities together again, where one is tossing a mob into the other into the air and the other guy is jumping to spirit as it's landing. Awesome. Just just epic. I cannot wait. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> for this game to land. Uh, moving on from there, let's touch on some Transformers news. Vince, yes. you've been following this. Indeed I have. And just like last week, we have two new characters again. This time for the Decepticon side, we have Barricade. And the Autobot side, we have Warpath, which is really cool because it's showing that they're taking a twist. Not all, You're not just going to see the traditional characters that you normally have. Of course, you're going to have Optimus Prime. Of course, you're going to have Bumblebee. But how when was the last time you saw an Autobot as a tank? You, you just pretty much don't. Nope. generally and it's showing a nice uh spread of the various abilities so you're not just going to be pigeonholed into one role when you're playing through the game is this going to sound really weird if i say that i can't wait for warpath to be available as a toy because i know it's inevitably going to happen and i'm going to buy that thing <laughs> you have any idea how hard it is for me not to buy the chinese optimus prime toy off of ebay from <laughs> yes. <World of> cybertron <laughs> yes yes i do my hand hovers over that button as well. <laughs> <laughs> but additionally, we've had new characters every week. They also announced that on the same day the game comes out, they're releasing a novel, which is going to span the the time period during the game as well as after. And it's really going to expand upon the story because for those that aren't aware, the war for Cybertron goes into the initial split between the Autobots and the Decepticons. They were, at one time, one peaceful race living together. And things go amiss. The Decepticons got a little power-hungry, decided that only the strongest should survive. And the Autobots are all nice hippies and just want everybody to be friendly. So this is going to be very interesting. I can't wait to... Hippies. Yes, the Autobots are hippies. I don't know. I don't know. I don't know if I can really call Optimus Prime a hippie considering he shanks people in the jaw. Optimus Prime is a badass hippie, but he's still a hippie. Come on, they have a freaking Volkswagen. You can't you can't you can't argue that that. But it's gonna be very interesting reading this novel because I want to see just how much of a of a tie-in they're doing to what we knew as kids with the generation one, because you're saying that they're trying to be true to it while still trying to create their own spin on things. So I think this novel is going to be a very interesting bridge between the two to see what sort of twists they take with the storyline. Cause it's going to factor very strongly on the characters of Megatron and Optimus prime and their motivations and really seeing the internal struggles that you can't quite get across in an action game per se. Well, in 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 the I don't know about you guys, but I've I have a bunch of Transformers comics. I have the first generation Transformers comics. Um, I have the book that was written by a gentleman, and I can't remember the name off the top of my head. It's in one of my uh, my boxes that I never managed to unpack. Uh, that actually details all the different origins of all the different Transformers, um, and including the storylines and differences between the Japanese and American uh, story arcs. And it, it's a lot richer of a story than people really think. And I can't wait to see the novel for very much the same reason as you, Vince. Um, it is something that is potentially actually um, ground breaking for people like us who would have been around this for the vast majority of our lives. Um, but it also gives them a unique opportunity to take some of the concepts that were never fully explored uh, back when it was first created and to inject a new life into it. Um, and I can't wait to see how they do this. 
Yeah, because, you know, remember, it was like, okay, they're dropping on Earth. They hate each other. Go for it. So now we finally get to see just why they hate each other so much. And I like the fact that they're also combining in the game. Like, we get our combiners. We get our, our, our you know, Megaton class uh, Transformers as well as, like, the little guys. And you see them in the trailer. You see, like, uh, the the Ultra Magnus, like, boss, like, city-style guy, um, you know, rearing up for the Autobots. And you see the... Uh, the Destructicon essential version on the, the, you know, Decepticon side going at it. And it's just, it's interesting because it is a game where you are at war. It is a game where there is a rich story behind it. Um, and who'd have thought that such a rich franchise uh, of children's toys and cartoon series could evolve into what it has been. All right, moving on. We also have some nice Final Fantasy XIV news, and I use the term nice loosely because if you haven't noticed, when the alpha test first came out, we received a deluge of information of everybody breaking their NDAs. And Square has gone around and you tried to clamp that shut, and the lack of information we've seen since then could be attributed to them cracking down on all these sites or it could be contributed to the fact that they really haven't done any alpha testing since they actually had to shut down the alpha servers for an entire week because mm-hmm. character data was becoming corrupted and when the corrupted characters were logging on it was crashing the server every time so instead of doing the three-time weekly tests i think they've been averaging about one time weekly so they go into this nice article talking about the server server instability, and they're saying that they might have to extend the alpha a little longer than they had anticipated, as well as perhaps do a second alpha before the beta starts. So for me, this does not bode well for a launch date sometime this year, at least not a good quality launch. Yeah, I found it hard to believe that it would be this year, to be honest. I was fully seeing spring of next year as well. I agree, especially when they want to compete uh, and they do want to compete uh, with Cataclysm coming out later this year with Knights of the Old Republic or I'm sorry, uh, the Old Republic. Um, but that's you know, next year. But that's next year. But they, they, they're going to have to compete with these things and trying to rush something out like that. I mean, you can put out a great game and you can do it well. But when the bigger, shinier, uh, prettier new gizmo comes out, people tend to flock towards it. Um, so if you're going to be competing, it's better off to take your time, polish it up and make sure that it's something that can hang with the big boys. I mean, I played Final Fantasy 11. I don't know. Vin- Vince, you did, too. Oh, extensively. <laughs> okay. All right. So you, me, and Rick, I think, have a unique understanding of exactly how soul-sucking that game was. I mean, it was a grind fest. You were, you'd have one person go and train mobs all the way back to where your guild or group was situated just so nobody else could get it. Um, I mean, it was, it was, it was badass. It was, it was ridiculous. It was something where, like, you had to sleep in shifts to get certain things done. It was, it was horrible. Um, and people don't want that anymore. We've seen that with Ion. People don't want to grind. People don't want to hit that wall and say, holy shit, I have to punch through with my bare hands. Screw this noise. And they leave. So, I mean, if you're going to create a pretty game, especially at a franchise like Final Fantasy, that is that is I mean, it's one of the more sought after franchises. Let's be honest here. It's been around forever. It will be around for a very long time, uh, regardless of how you feel about the franchise. It's there. It's there to stay. You're going to have a lot of people that want to play this game, but you can't just rely on the name alone because if it sucks, people won't play it. People won't give you their subscription money. People will say, screw you. I'm going to go play something else. And if you have something that just doesn't hold a candle to the bigger games, the bigger people that are coming out, 
you, you start getting into this area where it's better. I would rather see them take time and redo an alpha and get this shit right and get it tested and make sure it's nice. Make sure the game is fun. Make sure the game's not going to fucking sit there and knife me. You know, I'm okay with that as long as at the end, as long as it's what's produced is something good (laughs) but do they have the capital that they can do that it's all well and good to say that you're you're not going to be competing with wow you're going to be competing with everybody else who doesn't want to play wow with the game those games but it's it all falls on the same kind of, of 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 balance of getting the game out as soon as possible so that they can start recouping the money, the cost of creating the game. So does the Final Fantasy game uh, IP have enough capital banked that they can take their time with this, or are we going to see a release that is way too early and bugged and screwed up? Because what I've read here too with the Alpha is that it's not in the best of shapes. And if this sucker's coming out this year... I'm a little worried. These are bugs that should have been ironed out a little bit more. It's Final Fantasy. I'm sure they have plenty of money, but yeah. uh, just to throw that number out there, they said that right now they think 65% of the game is complete, which at this stage, I don't know, at least to me seems a little on the low side, especially when you consider just how massive this game is to set it kind of into scale. In Final Fantasy XI, you had your zones, and a group of zones would make up a region. Like, let's say, for example, in World of Warcraft, you have Stormwind, you have Elwyn, you have Westfall, you have Red Ridge, and you have Duskwood. Let's say you take those five zones, and that makes the Stormwind region. Now, what they've said for Final Fantasy XI, or I'm sorry, fourteen, is that each zone is going to be the size of the previous regions. So if you figure Elwyn Forest being the size of all that combined, this is a gigantic game. And if only 10 to 20% of it has been playable so far in the alpha, that's a lot of work to get done by the end of this year. Yeah, I'm I'm if they push it out by the end of the year, I fully expect it to be made of horribleness and suck. <laughs> if they actually if they actually take their time and cuz the scale they want to play to put this game is something that I'm all for. I like games that just feel big. Like one of the things I like about Lord of the Rings Online, you go into that world and it's not exactly a small world. You realize exactly how big it is as you're playing that game. Um World of Warcraft all things considered when you're a lobby when you're like a level 10 and you're just running around sure things seem big but very quickly that world collapses it becomes very very small um, it doesn't take very much time to run from the top of Strangle Thorn Vale to the bottom uh, compared to what it did you know 40 levels ago 50 levels ago um, whereas this one no matter how much you level it's shaping up to just be big I mean depending on how they, they include locomotion in the game um, it's going to feel like a very large, immersive world, and that is very important to a Final Fantasy franchise. True. Yeah, and just I mean, just one one more quick thing to go into where the direction this game might be going. One of my biggest problems with Eleven was that the game was basically made for the Japanese audience, and mm-hmm. the rest of us fools just were along for the ride. And they looked, they talked about the amount of posts they've had on the alpha forums, and at the time of this printing. The Japanese forum had 5,000 posts, and the American forum had 25,000. So Mm -hmm. if they think their core audience is happy with the game right now and the North American kids can just go screw themselves, again, I'm I'm apprehensive. I'm still hoping for the best, but 
we're definitely going to have to wait and see where this game is going. Yeah. Uh, moving on from there, though, one of the games that we do know the release day for now is APB. APB yes. has been announced for June 29th. Uh, that's the North American release and July 2nd for Europe. So I'm very happy. You can actually pre-order the game right now if you want. It's uh, You're not actually pre-ordering and buying. You are actually um, registering to pre-order kind of thing. There are some exclusive items that you can get, though, if you pre-order, including uh, upgraded cars for both, both Enforcer and Criminal. Um, poses the flexing in the chicken some items are like some clothes items uh decal some in-game time as well uh, yeah is there in-game time yeah 10 hours in-game time and some what am i missing here there was something else the store points store points you yeah. can also get in early too um which one would assume would be the the uh the end of the beta kind of thing or the pre-release. Um, but yeah, no, I actually, I signed up immediately. <laughs> I cannot wait for this game. And actually I lucked out and I was talking to Chris, whom we had on the podcast before today, and he gave me a beta key. So it's installing right now. Oh, yes. So it's bastard. installing and I'm going to be playing that sucker either later or tomorrow. I cannot wait. The North American beta right now has been uh, extended to 24-7. So you can basically play it all the time. And I asked him and I, and I can't talk about the game, but I can talk about how much fun I'm having in the game or things like that. Um, and I am looking at, we, we discussed it as well. We're going to have Chris and potentially somebody else on the show again, because to talk about things that have changed since then, to talk about this announcement as well, and to talk about their pricing policy that they've announced. I don't know if you want to tackle this, Joe. The pricing policy that they've announced is actually pretty intriguing to me. It's actually one of the reasons I'm holding off on the game. Um, the way that they're doing it is they're doing access hours, like hours of action district gameplay. Um, you can pay for a certain amount of hours, which right now they're talking about 20 uh, hours for $6.99 or five pounds or about six euros, somewhere in there, um, or a 30-day unlimited pass for $9.99. Um, this is kind of interesting to me because it's not a normal month-to-month uh, -month subscription. Uh, if you do like a month-to-month -month subscription for the unlimited 30 days, um, it gives you, you know, it's cheaper than most other games out there. Um, but they also offer discounts for 90-day purchases and 180-day purchases um, when you buy time. Um, there's, I don't know, I don't know how it's going to work out, and I'm kind of interested to see how that works out as far as just pure pricing goes. One of the cool things about it is that you can actually uh, earn the RTW points and you can spend them in the marketplace. Um, but they're also going to be able to, you're going to be able to spend the RTW points to convert it into game time or in-game cash. That's awesome. Um, now this is, <laughs> this is actually one of the things I really liked about Eve online where you can take the SQ earn in game through mining missions, whatever, and pay for your game time so that you are rewarded for the time you spend in the game. This is roughly the same thing. And it's something that I wish more games would, would try to implement a little bit. I mean, cause I mean, for all the time I spend raiding and wow, and for my, my store of gold, I'd gladly convert that into months of game time. You, you want to charge me 10,000 gold for, you know, two months of game time? Here you go. Have it. I don't care. I'll make more. You know, 
but yeah. this is this is cool because again it's it's something that rewards you for actually playing the game it is a proverbial carrot on the stick you play the game you earn the points you convert it into game time i like it's, that it's just to clarify with people as well the rtw points are real-time world uh points and it's their currency that they're going to use kind of thing now the thing that i like about this actually i was literally talking to rick about this this afternoon because he was saying if we have chris on the show to grill him about more information about this the thing that i like about this is is that you have the option of doing your regular 30-day pass which is a little bit cheaper than regular uh mmos but the ideal that you can have 20 hours for seven bucks and we're just going to do the north american uh, bundle here but 20 hours for someone like us and 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 you're seeing that a lot more now it's not just us for for most people would like to play more games and more mmos but really how many sub fees are you going to want to have in a month it gets ridiculous after a while mm-hmm. so people tend to put one game on hold to play another and then test another put that one on hold and then another and you're juggling MMOs is basically what you're doing if you completed all the content and wow then you put it on hold until you know in this case Cataclysm comes out and then you juggle and you play another game that's one of the things that I love about Guild Wars you can play whenever you want you don't have to feel like you have to have the subscription active otherwise you're wasting money this here where I can pay seven bucks and have 20 hours and then I decide that you know I have two hours on Saturdays while the wife is doing groceries or whatever that I can play then that 20 hours will last me two and a half months. That's awesome for seven bucks. That's a fantastic deal. And that's not even counting whether or not I can apply some of what I've done in the game towards my subscription fee as well. So the fact that they're offering both, I think is really really advancing what we should be seeing from all mmo companies right now yeah i'm all for a pay for play structure i think you nailed it exactly the more time you know you have to play other games the better it is for the gamer you don't want to restrict a gamer into one point and honestly nine nine out of ten gamers if they had to choose between let's say world of warcraft and apb sorry they're not going to pick apb and another thing is the nice uh distinction they have between the social gameplay and the action gameplay so if you're sitting around you know just you know in your hideout or whatever they have going on chatting with your buddies theoretically you're not losing any game time there's no push like oh i got i gotta play i gotta get my money's worth yeah no i agree that that is true that's huge they're seeing mmos more as a social media and not just a game which is what we've seen with wow i mean how many people log into wow and literally will spend hours just chatting whether it's with your guild your buddies whoever i've done it over and over again and literally you're just sitting there chatting and i'm not talking about the iron forge tram here people i'm just talking about chatting <laughs> with people and having fun and that's because wow has become the social media it's become the facebook of the gaming world where you can just get together with people and just shoot the breeze well this you'll be able to do that without having to feel like you're wasting your money like vince said that's huge that's phenomenal and it will encourage people to bounce in especially in a game where if you are in a gang or an enforcer's posse, whatever the hell you want to call them, 
it's going to be important to be able to talk to the people that you're in if you're planning a heist or you're planning a, you know, whatever it is with your group. Because the videos that we're seeing where, you know, the top rated enforcers and gangs and the things that they're doing, oh, dude, I want to do that. I want to be part of a gang that's planning these kind of things. That'll be awesome. So to be able to just bounce into the social district and not have to be worried about using up your time and just shoot the breeze. Oh, they know what they're doing. I am, I'm, a, I'm very, very impressed with the way that they've done this. Yeah, we've we've talked about it before. The explosion of social media, Facebook, Twitter, um, blogs, everything has has been charted around the same time as this this sort of uh, Pax Romana of gaming that's been occurring for the last. Uh, five, six, seven years. I mean, these are these re- things really hit their stride. I mean, people that play these games tend to be a little more tech savvy anyway. So including these features in your games is a huge, huge boon. Giving players a way to communicate with each other that doesn't actually burn time, fantastic. Allowing them to just bounce into the game and say, hey guys, what's going on? Keep in touch with their friends. Plan a heist. Say, okay, well, we're going to be you know, doing XYZ job on Saturday. Make sure you have your time in for Saturday at this point. You can start also planning the way you spend your 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 in-game action time. So I think that's pretty huge as well. And you're starting to see this more with a lot of other games that are coming out there. I mean, Eve does it. They offer like community sites and stuff like that internally to the game uh, for the the different corporations that you can build, which is cool, but it's not exactly the same. But it's it's the steady progression that we're seeing. Um, with MMOs. And I think that's huge. I really do. And I like the fact, I really, really like the fact that APB is doing this in this way, that they're making this distinction between time you're actually spending gaming and the time you're spending talking. So, I mean, I like it. I think it's a great step forward. Very cool. Yeah, I am looking forward to having them back on the show so that we can shoot the breeze and get more updates about how it's going because some things have changed since the last time we talked to them. So it will be cool. Uh, We're going to take a short break and then we'll come back with some more news. So give us a couple of minutes here to refresh our drinks and go for a pee and then we'll come. We'll we'll go at it from there. I'm going to cut out like half of what I just said there because none of it made sense.
Hello and welcome back to For the Lore. Um, we've been seeing some a lot of news because of the Guild Wars anniversary, the fifth year anniversary, like we talked about earlier. We also have a sixth anniversary for City of Heroes right now. Um, Joe, are you actually, you're not obviously playing that anymore. Well, you'd be surprised how often I actually resubscribe for the free weekends that I get from having an account since beta. Right. <laughs> uh, actually, I was... Uh, I was in the last free weekend and seeing how things were going. Uh, I'm still fairly impressed with the game. The game was very much ahead of its time, especially in terms of visual. Um, and they're now on episode or issue 17, which they released this. This is the way they do their content updates. Um, issue 17 is actually, um, well, it's uh, what do they call it? Dark Mirror. Um they tweak what's known as ultra mode. Um, there's new story arcs, new missions. Um, the mission architect was actually one of the big things about the game I like, which allows players to create missions uh, for other players to play. Um, that's I mean, what we that's, need to see more in other games. Yes. Let's be honest. We That should be available in any MMO. Now, you don't have it so that it's, you know, any old Yahoo can bounce in and, and do your quest to go cut off 10 penises from boars no. but within your party or within your guild or whatever so that the writers who play these games can really add to the game add a level of depth to the game that the actual devs never could simply because there are so many people who play these games who would love the opportunity like think of wow well, think of how many people would love to create story arcs within wow even if it's only just for their friends well here's the thing though too um and this is and and omg sam brought this up and i was going to bring this up as well um the feature of the mission architect has been actually pretty abused by uh, players and their friends. It's something that has to be very closely monitored, um, which I honestly don't. Uh, uh, I don't think that they're doing quite as well with City of Heroes as they could be. I mean, we're talking about ramping up rewards. We're talking about making uh, arch villains die to one specific power, like stupid random shit that they can trigger. Um, it would require um, a whole massive amount of monitoring from any games that do it, which I think is part of the reason why a lot of games don't. Um, but that, that would only be if you are rewarding the player with experience and money. Yes, but what I'm they saying are. is that if they strip that, strip any rewards other than being able to enjoy a different kind of lore for whatever it is that's being created, and then you don't have to monitor it as much. And also if they limit who can... You know, if if you want to accept player X's quest lines that they've created, you can decide who it is that you'd like to do their quest. They can do it in a way that would not abuse the system and be there for the people who are creative who'd like to to create quest lines. And and I understand that, um, and I can see that as a certain a cer to a certain degree. But rewards is part of the reasons that a lot of people will do this. Um, not everybody plays it for the lore like we do. Not everybody plays it for the story. A lot of people play it to uh, for the sole purpose of beating the game. Um, the Mission Architect, the original purpose of it was to make sure that the game wasn't beaten, so to speak. And this is coming from a player who uh, my character is still set outside the Portal Corporation. Um, 
who max level sitting on top of a uh, a statue because I have nothing else to do in the game at that point. Um, well, that's the point right there. But when but we, the thing is, well, for those other go ahead, I'm sorry. But it, my point is just that it, you do have a lot of people who are bored with the content that's there that would want to play the game for the sheer joy of playing the game and not the rewards. So the the architecture can be put in place to allow the quest creation without the rewards, but the reward being, again, it gives you something to do that is furthering your enjoyment and your not just of the story and the lore and the game, but also of uh, being able to play your character through something different. Again, I look at WoW, because it's easy to point to WoW as an example for everything, but look at WoW and somebody who's really bored of dailies, of everything else kind of thing, and introduce a system wherein you can have um, player-created quest lines that utilize NPCs in game, even bosses in game, whatever. Even if it's easy, well, then it's just not going to be epic, so who cares kind of thing. It's not going to be the same thing. But create something that gives you something to do for an hour, two hours, that you feel, and and it's all going to be based on who does a good job. It's the same kind of mentality as Little Big Planet where you got to know who made the really good levels and you kind of ignored the people that was you bounce in and you get all your achievements in one bounce kind of thing but this guy here created something absolutely amazing and you keep going back to follow him so we have someone let's say like Gracier who decides to make quest lines I don't know about you but I'll play him and then you get to know this person when he's going to release another level kind of thing I'm looking forward to it. I can't well, wait to. I don't care about this, the monetary value of my time. It's about the enjoyment. Right. No, and I agree to that point. I mean, this is the same reason that there is an extensive mod community for a lot of games that are out there. Oh, yeah. Much a, a Counter-Strike is a perfect example. Um, Source is, it has an entire community that's still thriving that basically make entirely new games and content through mods. Um, before I say anything else about the City Heroes, Vince, do you want to chime in at all? Uh, just to go on the architect, I'm actually going to pose a quick question out here to the chat room because uh, Evil Bike Man there, I know he's still playing. I'm sure the tools exist to make these nice, non-rewarding quest lines, and I'd like to know how many people actually make them and how many people actually run them. Because, I mean, if, if the tools are there, there's no reason it can't happen, but I don't actually see it happening. I, I can answer that one as well. The, okay. you, you get the option to not give a reward as well. You You can set, like, what drops. So like, right, in, but, like enhancements and stuff like that, you can say, no, it doesn't drop anything. But then the thing about that is that, okay, so if your argument for that is that nobody is doing the quests that don't offer rewards, the answer to that is quite simply, well, why would they? If it's set wherein all of them are locked wherein they can't offer you reward, then your drive to do that, to, to do player-created quests, will be the quality of the quest, not the reward. Whereas we all know that for most people, it's all about it's all about the money that you'll get or quest rewards or whatever. So if you have the option, more often than not, you'll choose the one that gives you the, the quest reward and hope that you also get a, a good storyline along with it. So there we go. Confirmed in the chat. Nobody yep. makes them like that because when I I tried out the game at a suggestion and while I found it very fun, everybody was just doing the architect missions to level up. Nobody was actually playing the actual game and it kind of took me out of the game and it made that early kind of repetitive noob experience just not that endearing to me as a new player. 
and and it's a great feature. It's something that I would really love to see completely, completely explored. Um, but it, it has potential. It just needs to be further um, looked into. Um, I think really. Yeah. I, I kind of disagree with Sam here, who's saying that you're expecting too much from the average player, simply because we can look at something as 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 recent as again, Little Big Planet, which I don't know if you got to play it, but but I did with my son, and it is something wherein the community got really involved in creating levels and whatnot, and then you got to know the ones that were good at creating levels and develop stories within those levels and you looked forward to doing that not because of what you got out of it because more often than not what you got was you know stickers or, or things like that which you would rarely use it was about really having fun with a a level and often it was because of the story that that was associated with it some of them were i mean you wouldn't think a little platformer but we've talked about this a little platformer could have such a little story in one level but holy hell damn when people know what they're doing and they're driven and they're good at creation and things like that then yeah you will and i think that if the tools were introduced in more games or in the writer and all of us could create something to make somebody feel epic i know that a lot of the people who do write and create would want to offer more up to get that feedback from the audience as well that would be, if they did a good job, very encouraging to continue kind of thing. So I don't know. Well, I, it's just my opinion that I think that it should be explored in a lot more games. I agree with that. I think that it's worth exploring in a lot more games. Um, but Again, we're, we can talk about the law of averages later. I think that's a, an entire debate <laughs> that we could have back and forth. Um, but yeah, I think it's something that it is worth exploring. Um, also, I would like to move past the architect to talk about the announcement of their new expansion uh, for City of Heroes, which is called Going Rogue. Um, this is pretty much for creating heroes and villains that walk the line between good and evil uh, or are able to switch between the roles of hero and villain. And we've talked about this a lot in a lot of games. Um, Old Republic's going to be doing it. There's a, there's other games that are planning to let you uh, fall on, well, like Fall on Earth lets you switch factions uh, that allow you to change the, the, the team you play for, so to speak. Uh, and to be able to see a comic game do that is actually pretty huge because how many times have we seen uh, you know comic heroes in the in the stories fall from grace uh, and have to do something unsavory for a while before they can get their hands clean? I mean, I can look at uh, you know a bunch of Spider-Man novels and Superman novels that uh, that have done that, and to be able to see players be able to make that choice for themselves is also awesome. That would actually make me probably play the game at least for a little while because I could probably take uh, my my scrapper, my maximum level scrapper, and uh, decide to go rogue and, and kill some good guys because I just feel like it. So, you know, <laughs> yeah, it's, 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 I'm tired of being the good guy all the time. It's a great concept that really fits into this game because I'm sure as a comic fan yourself, Joe, you can agree a lot of the best stories are when the hero reaches that point where they have to make that difficult decision and what are they going to do? And it's great that they put that power into the player's hands. Yes. And I think that's something that more games should explore as well. I would love to be able to take my gnome and say, you know what? Fuck you, Alliance. You guys want to make fun of me? I'm going to go join the horde. Give me my goblin mask. You know? <laughs> so I don't know. I'd love to see stuff like that appear in more games. I'd like to see more player 
choice in the direction of your character. And talk about a segue. That's the kind of thing we're going to be seeing in Star Wars The Old Republic, which yes. leads us to this here where they're talking now about the book that they're going to be putting out called Deceived. It's going to be written by Paul S. Kemp, and it's going to be talking about the Sith Lord who is going to be responsible for the sacking of Coruscant. Um, looks excellent. Looks most interesting would love to be reading it now however this bad boy is not coming out until december 28th of this year we have to remember that wrong with these people oh my god like there's i i I know that they want to keep us intrigued with you know the old republic and keep us on a hook because they have to keep us on a hook for a year but when you're announcing a book that's going to be coming out in december they probably could have sat on this a little bit longer because right now i'm thinking dude i'd love to read this like now i'm gonna be thinking that for a while i yeah yeah that's that's like torture that's like you know waving the hundred dollar bill in front of your face only to have it like light on fire well the thing too is that we've seen how good a job they've done with the Dragon Age uh, origin books. We've seen how good a job they did with the Mass Effect um, comics, the Dragon Age comic. The There's a Mass Effect novel as well that came out recently, wasn't there, Vince? Do you know what I'm talking I about? I believe so, yeah. I, I, I've seen it. I haven't really looked into it, though. Yeah, I'll actually probably, if it is recent, I'll probably pick it up just to read it. So I have faith in them <laughs> with storytelling right now, and I really would like to get my hands on some of this Star Wars stuff so that I am ready for when it comes out. And this sounds awesome. Again, if you have if you haven't checked out the uh, Star Wars The Old Republic site, make sure to go to it. It's just SWTOR.com. Um, and it's very cool because they're putting a lot of information in their holonet, they call it, wherein you got information about the classes, the um, the planets and things like that, but they've also got dev blogs that you can read through, and they've also got a variety of videos. It's 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 really a good site to visit on a regular basis. Um, but if you've checked out some of the videos that they have, they have uh, I we talked about it. When was it? Was that last week, Vince, that we talked about it or the week before that maybe we talked about it? Because there was a new video that was added. Yeah, it would have been a couple of weeks ago. Yeah, no, no, vi- was, I think it was last week, the combat video. Exactly. No, no, sorry. It was the one before oh. that. But it's one of the videos that talks about um, some of the history of, again, to put us up to date about what's happened since Knights of the Old Republic. And so the sacking of Coruscant is one of those... Yeah, exactly. It was Peace for the Republic. Thanks, Sam. Um, the Sacking of Coruscant was one of the first videos that I remember seeing, and it's phenomenal. And it really gives you a good idea of, it lays the ground for work for what's coming kind of thing. So to be able to read the novel about the person who kind of was the architect behind that, I want to read it. I want to read it now, not December, now. <laughs> And I think that's also a, a, an interesting point that, I mean, Bioware does this ridiculously well, let's be honest. Um, creating story, creating depth to a world that would normally be very flat um, is just, it's the, that's the way they do business. I mean, they did it with, they're doing it with, you know, Star Wars. They did it with Dragon Age. Um, and they're going to keep doing it. This is what they do and this is what they do best. Okay, um, hold on one second there. This might kill our feed, but for the people who are listening live at least, check this out, okay? This is the <laughs> video right now. Oh, it's worth it. Okay, we're just actually, you know what? I'll edit this out later, but just for people to listen, it's freaking awesome. 
And that's the dude. Music. Music. That's the dude. Oh. Okay, I'm going to turn the volume down on that. Keep it playing, but keep, put the volume down. See, this is what I'm talking about. Okay, so <laughs> I'll put the link in the show notes so that people can see the awesomeness that we were just watching. This is the dude that orchestrated this that is going to be in that novel. So if that does not make you want to read that novel, I don't know what will. This, I, uh, Ben, I... I know that it's not until next spring. It's going to be a very tough year waiting for this sucker. Uh, let's move on from there, though. We also had some Star Trek Online news. Not nearly as interesting. Um, oh, dude, that lightsaber toss. Awesome! Uh, promotion <laughs> going on right now where they're going to be having Veterans Rewards. So that the more time you've played, you can actually get some perks. So for people who are still playing quite a bit, then you are going to have different options that other players aren't going to have based on how long you've been playing. So for like 100 days, you've got the uh, special title, you've got a free full respec, you've got a costume piece, things like that. And it goes up to 400 days. So it's a good idea. You reward your players again for how much time they are playing. So that is uh, something that people obviously appreciate, and especially in a game like Star Trek Online, where let's be honest, they're having a problem with, excuse me, they're having a problem with their member base. They're trying all manner of promotions, and it's the game hasn't been out that long. They're doing all manner of promotions to try to keep people in right now. So it is a good idea. I, yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> well, it's fine. We were talking about it earlier because I bounced in this week and I played for, for actually quite a while. And I did a couple of episodes. And the thing was that I found the same thing as I'd found before, wherein it became a chore of doing the same things that I've been doing since the beginning. I'm still not seeing enough variety and what it is that I'm doing, regardless of the quest. I can see how the quest chains, the episodic content would be epic. However, how it's presented to you is in a manner that's not epic. So <sighs> now something else that they're doing right now is they've got a poll up for people's opinions in terms of what they should do for the next playable faction within STO. So they put up options. People could vote whether they wanted Borg, Romulan, Dominion, Cardassian, or Horta as the next playable race. And obviously Romulan got is 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 winning. What I found funny was that in this, uh, how many pages? We got 101 pages in this thread. Mm -hmm. 111 pages, 121. I'm just going to keep jumping here. Let's just go to last. Holy crap. 133 pages in this often read how about you fix the klingons first before you start introducing another faction and that's exactly what i've said before don't even talk about introducing another faction until you fix the ones you've got people let me let me be perfectly frank i'm not bad mouthing uh the game or cryptic in any way shape or form the game has a ridiculous amount of potential it really does. It has a great IP. There's a ton of great things they can do with it. Um, they can start pulling from other games to, to, to maneuver certain things in uh, to their game to, to make it more robust and to make it more epic. And it just seems like it, it's a, a bad move. I mean, I understand you want to keep content fresh. You want to add another playable race. But, I mean, Klingons are there, and it seems almost as if they were added as an afterthought. Well, they we were. were coming up to 
we were we were promised this game. We were talking about this game for the year that it was in development um, that we were talking about it. I mean, it was obviously in development longer than that. But the amount of time we spent talking about it, we were all excited because, I mean, a war between the Federation and the Klingons should be massive from both sides. Um, there should be enough invested where you can play a Klingon, have a completely different but equal experience than if you played as a Federation character. And it's just not there right now. I mean, there's a lot of buggy quests. There's a lot of hollowness to the race. Um, and I'm sorry. I mean, that's that's not what Star Trek should be about. Um, it should be more robust. These blanks should be filled in before you start going into another lore heavy, another basically society in, in Star Trek that needs a lot of attention. Romulan, Dominion, Cardassian, and Horta they all require a lot of attention. They are very unique snowflakes um, in what they perceive with the world and how they react with the the universe as a whole. The Borg is just Borg. I mean, they assimilate everything. That's their entire purpose in life. So we can we can kind of skip them. But I mean, how are you going to add Romulans in who are going to require a lot of backstory, require a lot of questing, uh, are going to require a lot of of attention, care, and time when you haven't even given that to Klingons? Fix it. <laughs> fix it make, make 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 what's there good like it should be like you guys can do i have faith in you guys <laughs> do something right <laughs> well again it's exactly what i've said I, I i have a huge problem with them already talking about another race or another playable faction when the klingons are a joke right now so how much faith is that going to give the player base in what they're going to do with this other playable faction when the existing one is still completely underdeveloped and so yeah we all agree on this one it's not much point going on i just found it interesting especially also offering the borg as a playable faction i'm thinking anybody who paid for being able to play as a borg or the lifetime subs they're probably not too thrilled knowing that there's a possibility that might just be added in anyways yeah, and that's going to be a, a kick in the teeth for them, I'm sure. Big time. Uh, moving on from there, we're not going to go on much longer. One of the important things that I wanted to talk about, because it's important to me as a Mac gamer. Yes. Steam's coming to Macs on May 12th, which means it's going to be coming with Half-Life and for Left 4 Dead and for the original Portal. You'll be able to play that sucker on your Mac. Booyah. I am happy. Yeah. Oh, I pff, I can't wait. <laughs> That's going to be awesome. And the fact that if you paid for the PC versions, you get the, um, the Mac, Mac versions client. for free, which is awesome. Which, for, hey, for uh, Bioware games. Bioware? <laughs> yeah. Bioware, if you're listening, uh, Mr. Bioware, Dr. Bioware, listen, if I paid for you on the PC, I should get it for the Mac because I'm tired of having to go into boot camp just to play Mass Effect and Dragon Age Origins, I've been, which is all I've been doing lately. So come on, people. Like, please. Don't be so greedy. Anyways, that's going to wrap it up for this week. Thanks for joining us. Make sure to download the podcast. It'll no doubt be out tomorrow to get my review on The Calling, the Dragon Age novel, the second one, as well as Joe's uh, Tale of the Lodger Chapter 2, Part 2, which is going to be no doubt quite awesome and hopefully with accents. <laughs> and with that, we will let you go and we will talk to you guys next week.
A while back, Joe reviewed the first Dragon Age novel by David Gator, The Stolen Throne. Today, I'd like to talk about the sequel, The Calling. However, before I get into that, I would like to reiterate something which I said during the podcast, and that is that if you enjoyed playing Dragon Age Origins, you pretty much owe it to yourself to read both of these novels. In and of itself, The Calling is a fantastic fantasy novel. You can read it and follow along without ever having read The Stolen Throne, though the experience is far richer if you read them both. You'll see Loghain briefly during the beginning of The Calling, however, the only recurring character worth mentioning is, of course, King Merrick. That said, though, he's not the central character in this novel. The Calling does not have a central character, but rather follows the adventures of a group of Grey Wardens who enlist Merrick's help to guide them through the Deep Roads. These Grey Wardens are led by a harsh older woman named Genevieve. Her brother, Bregan, also a Grey Warden, has entered the Deep Roads for his calling. Now, as you proceed through the novel, you'll discover that the calling is when a Grey Warren becomes so infected by the taint that they begin to hear music which drives them to enter the Deep Roads for one last stand against the Darkspawn, which leads to their death. The problem now, though, is that Genevieve has had visions indicating her brother will not die at the hands of the Darkspawn, but rather reveal to them the locations of the Old Gods, which would inevitably lead to another blight. The characters in The Calling are very well fleshed out. There are five other Grey Warrens accompanying Genevieve, and each is well written, though one in particular does shine. That is, of course, the young Duncan, newly recruited into the Grey Warrens against his wishes. People who loved Duncan in Dragon Age Origins will get the most out of this novel, as the character development in him is absolutely incredible. It reminds me very much of the development in Loghain's story in the first novel. The setting for the second novel is almost entirely within the Deep Roads. You get that same claustrophobic feel reading this novel that you did reading the chapters within the Stolen Throne which take place there. The interaction between the characters is expertly written, especially the subtle relationship between the Grey Wardens. Gator took some chances in this novel, and I applaud him for that. The Calling is not just about this group of Grey Wardens, however. In addition to following their adventures, you also get to read about Bregan's interaction with the Darkspawn, namely the Architect. These chapters give the reader a very different look at the Darkspawn, and they help build the tension which you then feel when reading of the Grey Warden's race to reach him before it's too late. When I finished reading The Stolen Throne, I felt as though Gator had taken a shortcut with the ending. Uh, I don't want to ruin it, and some may disagree with me, however, being a writer myself, I felt that he'd taken the easy way out. Basically, he didn't follow the old writing adage of show, don't tell. That said, The Calling does not suffer from the same. Gator's ending for the sequel is absolutely gripping to the very last page. You can tell at one point that the action is about to come to a conclusion, and it's at this point that I started worrying if the novel would end well. Little did I know Gator still had a couple aces up his proverbial sleeves, and he brought them out one at a time, each causing a surprise grin to appear on my face as I continued reading to the last page, unable to put the book down to let close the covers. My name is Joe, and I am from For the Lore. This is Chapter 2, Part 2 of Loader's Tale. The full story, and all of the pieces before, can be found at wayofthetotem.com. Loader and Asteris were enjoying each other's company once again. Thanks in great part to the dwarven companion, Yeva, Loder had come to really enjoy traveling with company. 
The two swapped war stories back and forth as they made their way towards the airstrip to the north, reminiscing about their narrow victories and the glorious deeds. Indeed, if not for the fact that this was an elf and a Drenai, the two could have easily been mistaken for dwarves celebrating their laurels. The two wound their way across the plain, its land at constant odds with itself. To the left was ice and snow freshly fallen. To the right lay hot springs and lush growths. The contradiction of elements did not detract from the beauty of the area, and Loder smiled content. About halfway to the goal, the pair noticed figures collecting around a hot spring. There seemed to be some fevered movement as those of the camp bustled about. Without a word, Asteris brought a weapon to bear casually while Loder gathered a veil of power. They had already been jumped once on their trip today. A second ambush was not unlikely. As their path carried them closer, Loder noticed what appeared to be an elf clad in feathers, twigs, and leaves. It appeared that a small group had set up camp around one of the springs in the plain, and now that they were closer, Loder could see that they were tending the wounds of an animal. Loder gave Asteris a quick look, and the two made their way towards the camp. The Maidenu moved to mask themselves, and it wasn't long before the large elf adorned with what appeared to be a druid's garb noticed them. Fandudath Belore, traveler said the elf as he moved towards the two. State your business here. He spoke with authority, clearly born of his station among his group. Well met, brother druid, Loder held back. Our business is simply traveling through your land here. We are on our way to Fiskrank airstrip, and we mean you no trouble. We simply saw that you were tending to a few injured creatures, and I thought I would offer my assistance. Ah, you're a healer as well, then. The druid eyed Loder and Asteris as they dismounted. I am Archdruid Lothorius, and this is a camp of Detha. Loder looked at the druid quizzically. You have not heard of our noble cause. Very well, then. Deta, or D-A-H-T-A, is the druids for the ethical and humane treatment of animals. We have come to Northrend to preserve that which the vile tyrant Hemet Nessingway seeks to destroy. His hunters have placed traps all over the tundra, and these poor animals suffer for it. Loder looked at the druid. I am Loder, shaman of the Guild Impossible, and student of Nabundu. While I have not heard of your cause before this day, I will lend what aid I can in mending these creatures. Astaire shifted uncomfortably a little. I'll tell you what. I'll, um, I'll scout around a little bit and, uh, make sure they aren't laying any more traps. Loder nodded, and Asteris disappeared into the plain. Shortly after, Loder set to work healing the mammoth calf inside the camp. They were back to full health and baying for their mothers in no time. Loder smiled and stood up. It was honest work, and the tundra would see these calf growing and thriving. As long as the Lich King was taken care of, that is. Well done, shaman. Your heart is in the right place. While we clean up here, I wonder if I could ask you to go forth and check for any more animals caught in the traps out there. The archdruid flashed a smile at Loder. Certainly, though I suspect my companion will have cleared them out already. Loder turned and set about checking the planes for traps. Most were broken and tattered, although she still had to smash a few with rather large rocks to disable them. After freshly smashing one, Loder heard a faint sound. She stood slowly and stilled herself. Looking around, she could barely make out a slight movement. 
the sound, almost like a chirp, could faintly be heard. Loder headed in the direction of the sound carefully. It wasn't long before Loder was upon the spot. In a trap was what appeared to be a griffin hatchling. It thrashed about and locked eyes with Loder. Loder knelt down carefully and spoke calmly to the creature. It's okay, little fella. I'm gonna get you out of there and get you all healed up. Loder called to the spirits of the hunt to lend his words meaning to the animal. Calm yourself, little one, before you injure yourself further. I will help. The creature calmed, still staring at the shaman. Loder reached down and carefully opened the trap. Scooping the hatchling up, she placed the avian in her lap. Speaking the words of mending, she summoned the spirits of water to tend to the animal's wounds. Slowly, the bones mended and the skin healed, and in no time it was taking a few tentative steps on its paws. When it realized it was fully mended, it immediately charged into Loder, nuzzling her. You're awfully young to be on your own. Where is your family? The airy peak is a long way from here. The hatchling let out a small cry. Well, it's not safe for you to be out here on your own. Come along. We'll go back to the druids here. She placed the creature on her shoulder where it perched happily. In short order, they were back at the camp. Asteris had returned, but remained on the outside of the camp. Loder strode in and informed the archdruid that the traps had been dealt with. I found this poor fellow in a trap. He's quite a long way from home. And do you think you could care for him for a time? The druid stroked the feathers of the griffinling. I'm afraid we cannot. We have enough to handle here, and the mammoth herds mostly tend to themselves once we heal them. He looked at Loder. Perhaps you can take him with you. He already seems quite fond of you. The griffin bounded between Loder's shoulders. Perhaps that would be okay. I am headed to Dalaran after all. Maybe one of the mages there can help get him home. Loder scratched under the creature's beak. Well, with that settled, is there anything else I can do to help you before we depart? I fear we may have tarried too long as is. No, you've done enough. May the blessings of Malorn and Cenarius be upon you, shaman. Be safe in your journeys. Loder inclined her head slightly forward and turned back to Asteris. About bloody time. I was waiting for them to realize I make a profession out of being a hunter. What's that you got there? Souvenir? Asteris pointed to the hatchling. You would have been fine. Besides, helping the animals didn't take too long. Loder fed a few scraps of dried meat to the griffin. I found this one in a trap. I'm going to bring him the dollar on and see if anyone can help him out and see him back to the peak. Ah, fair enough. Have you named it yet? Asteris and Loder summoned their mounts and began their northerly trek once more. If I name him, then I'll have to keep him. I don't think Andor would be too pleased with that. Loder chuckled. Yeah, but if you don't name him, it'll get boring when you yell at it. Hey, you... Get out of my provisions. At least the token name would be appropriate, I think. Loder looked to the sky thoughtfully. Ahonan. She looked at the creature. What do you think, little one? Do you like it? Shall I call you Ahonan? The animal chirped happily. Well then, it would seem that is settled as well. Shall we continue then? Let us. 
I'm eager to get the dollar on. It's simply been too long since I've made fun of Zabos, and I'm starting to hit withdrawal. Excuse me. Oh, gee, babes. that was a nice thing to log on to. <laughs> oh, how cute. You guys have the same Skype icon almost. Dude, Aww. I didn't even Aww. notice. Look at that. I had it first, jerk. <laughs> yeah, but mine is better. Mine is when he's waiting to bury the orc chick. <laughs> and he's all happy. <laughs> I can make sand castles out of her bones. <laughs> Yes, uh, board endanger us. Uh, well, board endanger uh, dot us. Okay, uh, 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 ten minutes. Ten minutes. Hold on. <laughs> <laughs> that was French. I didn't even realize that. <laughs> Hold on. I'm looking forward to it. Trust yeah, me, well, so am I. I listened to some music. Yeah. <laughs> Glad to have you here. You're about as useless as someone else that we know that's no longer here. I, I thought that was the role I was filling. <laughs> just living I up didn't to standards, We were seat. expecting more is all I'm saying. Daniel's full of piss and vinegar tonight. When is he not? Normally he's just full of piss. I don't know. Lately he's been a little of both. Actually a lot of both. Don't make me, dude, I will slap my Ensign Dan Silly, you keep that up. Put him <laughs> in his place. I'll, I'll, I'll dismiss his ass. So, yeah, I don't need a Dan on my crew if he's going to be like that. Take that, bitch. I'll replace hey, yeah. you with a Hoogs. Oh, 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 oh no, that's oh, bad. Oh. For, for uh, the record, Dan, I was actually supporting this. You, 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 I like it. I like this attitude. <laughs> We don't care what you think. Oh, shut up, you cantankerous bastard. And if all goes according to plan, I'll be getting myself some ink as well. Nice. Your first one? First one. Kind of like Tart? No, this is not her first one. No, I meant she was your first. But it went right over your Ooh, head, but that's all right. Ouch. Well, I'm sure everything, <laughs> goes over, everything goes over my head. I'm actually going to get my uh, my favorite word in the English language uh, <laughs> tattooed on my uh, tattooed on my arms. <laughs> Okay. <laughs> Sorry. I'm just I'm just going to ask, you know, which letter it starts with because I can go off on rants forever on that. Letter U. <laughs> oh, that's no fun. Well, that's about as far as I'll get before he starts crying and runs away anyway, so I'm nah, just gonna be, be fine. All right. I'll be okay. If I can so, survive dealing with Roger on a weekly basis, I think so I So you I, want a tattoo of the letter U? Uh-huh. Awesome. Where exactly is this going? Like handlebar style over your dick or something? Or <laughs> No, 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 no. If it was on my dick, it would be up periscope. Thank you very much. Uh, all right, then. <laughs> so where is this you going? Uh, the U word is going to be going on my uh, right arm, right above my uh, wrist on the inside. All right. Do we get to know the word or are you saying I'm going to keep you guessing for a while. I'm not going to say it yet. You. <laughs> Ubiquitous? Nope. Ah, come on, that was a good guess, though. It is a good guess. A very good, very guess. good guess. All right. 
Before we start, though, oh no, I'll save it. I'll save it. Oh, <laughs> <sighs> I always fear whenever he says that. So I don't know. Really, right. really, really liking it. <laughs> All right, moving on. We also have some what? Nothing. Nothing. I'm just there's going to be like three okay. seconds there. I got to cut out. <laughs> You're, you'll get the hang of it. That's all right. Yeah, yeah. Calm down. All right, moving on. We also have some. That's fine. It's, it's People are used to me show. babbling. Like, yeah. Just put dead air there. They'll think it's normal. Yeah. I'll, I'll go to Jeopardy music. We haven't had that for a while. Maybe I just don't want to talk to you, Dan. Awesome. Awesome, awesome. Believing your people were safe. Awesome move. <laughs> awesome move. Did you see that? That was awesome. And bounty hunters should not be allowed to look that hot. I want to play this game. <laughs> now. Yes. <laughs> I Just give my, me my... what you have. Uh, I don't I, care I want... if the graphics aren't in. <laughs> I, I oh, look at that. Oh, epic. Look at this. <laughs> 